today regimented and regular great regular you mean like we don't need to go to cvs to get something to help us along no sicko what i mean <laughs> is regular like we're regular guys okay well, no no pretense here you know we're true. just we're just regular dudes uh, as i tell everybody and everybody says to me you are the most normal guy i know People say that all the time. Well, regular being a regular guy does not necessarily equate to being a normal guy. Enjoy the great decades of music, fun, and banter with R&R. Weekdays 1 till 3 here on KPFT. This is KPFT Houston, 90.1 FM. Hello, Houston. Live from the KPFT studios, it's the Houston Hour with Houston historian and TV's Mr. McKinney and Heidi Vaughn of Heidi Vaughn Fine Art. Now, sit back and relax as we bring you an hour of all things arts, entertainment, history, and Houston happenings. Here's Mr. McKinney. This ain't Texas. Hello, Houston. It is Friday, February 23rd. It's Mr. McKinney with Mr. McKinney's Historic Houston and the Houston Hour Radio Show coming to the KPFT Airwaves right here with my awesome co-host, Heidi Vaughn with Heidi Vaughn Fine Arts. Say hello, Heidi. Hi, Houston. Hi, Mr. McKinney. Well, this is it, folks. We are rounding out the month of February, and we're so happy to have you listening to us here, too. We're also rounding out our winter pledge drive, okay? It's coming up, folks. You still have some more time because we have until the end of the month to give, and this is actually a special month with a special year. It's leap year. (gasps) That means you get an extra day to make a donation, but can I recommend you do it right now while you're thinking about it? Unless you're driving, then do it today. Yeah, and you can do it on your cell phone. You can do it on your computer. You can even call in. The easiest way is to go to your computer or go to your cell phone and just type in kpft.org. A lot of folks do listen to us on their mobile devices and or on their computer. If you're listening to old-fashioned radio, you've got your hands free and you're at home. Hopefully, you can break out your cell phone and make that contribution. You know, I just would like to interject. Yeah. Uh, we regularly have guests on who have family who don't live in Houston who want to know how to hear the show. And you can listen to the show live from your computer from anywhere in the world. Stream it at kpft.org. It'll be on at 8 o'clock every Friday, the Houston Hour. And if you're listening... That costs money, by the way. You're right, Heidi. And what you're getting at is that does cost money to keep that archive up to date to keep our technology folks all these things do cost money we have a station here on caroline street and we need to you need to maintain it we've got things we have to do for the station here too so if you've spent the entire month listening to us talk about how important the winter drive is but you haven't yet made a contribution please go to kpft.org hit the donate now button means the world to us we track it we actually see how did i get a list of everybody who's given the entire winter pledge drive santa knows (laughs) (laughs) sure does we see that list folks and the station manager knows too. He does. He does. <laughs> make term, sure we get full credit, please. Yes, it matters to us folks. It actually showcases this show it does make a difference in the lives of so many folks here. It's an oral history, as Heidi's mentioned so many times on the air. It is an oral history of the most amazing visual and performing professional arts guests in this city, and along with some Houston legends that won't be around forever. So it's great to capture their stories now as we do here on the Houston Hour. Well, Heidi, speaking of, I am so thrilled because we have a young legend, yet he's made a lot of waves. Tell us who's on the art side today. Well, we're going to have Jonathan Blake on. He has been designing dresses for some of Houston's most important women, including Carolyn Farb and Lynn Wyatt and even Miss Universe. That's a big deal, folks. And on the history side, we have this, a legend in the fundraising world. She's somebody who's been on numerous boards, and she's very active with Rotary, and she's also worked in the nonprofit sector, too. So I'm so happy that Monique Johnson is going to be joining us on the show a little bit later on. Well, you know, Heidi, what's going on in the arts calendar side? Well, I'm recommending tomorrow at 5 p.m. because, you know, I'm such a fan of classical music, and I love encouraging young people in classical music. I grew up around classical music, and I think it's just such a wonderful thing to have access to at River Oaks Chamber Orchestra. Orchestra, Rocco. They have a concert called Supersonic. It's tomorrow at five o'clock at St. John the Divine. Not only does it have the chamber orchestra performers from River Oaks Chamber Orchestra, also the Houston Youth Symphony Orchestra is a special performing guest. So you can find out more about that at info at roco.org. And then for the visual arts, it's Black History Month. The Museum of Fine Arts, there's a new show. It's called Multiplicity, Blackness in Contemporary American Collage. This is the first major 
Center Museum exhibition devoted to exploring the breadth and complexity of black identity and experiences in America through collage. That's up through May 12th. Oh, those are great recommendations, Heidi. Thank you so much for that. I mentioned earlier, Alicia Lawyer Rocco. She's somebody who's really, she's been on board the Houston History Bus with us. She's, she's been a, on the show. Yeah, she's been on the show too. She's just a strong partner and she is no stranger to radio folks because you hear that voice, you know the name, and she's making waves all throughout the arts community. We need to get her back on the show because she has some really exciting news about an event space that she's helping to make possible an historic building in the Houston Heights. So we're thrilled about all that. That's so much more to come. But you know what, right now, Heidi, we shouldn't waste any more time. We should get started with our very first guest. Thank you, Mr. McKinney. Well, I'm real excited to introduce our arts guest. We don't normally have fashion designers on, and certainly this is a very high-level fashion designer. Jonathan Blake, welcome to the Houston Hour. Thank you for having me. Well, you're a native Houstonian. Where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Houston, and then we kind of gradually moved out as our family interests changed. So my sister would barrel race. So we actually would move from Houston out into the Tomball area because you can have horses and cows and things like that out there. And that's what we did so she could pursue that. And I still went to school in Houston, to private schools at Houston Christian. And Okay. Wow. My dad did that barrel <laughs> racing, yeah. No, I yeah. didn't know that. Your dad Victoria, did Victoria, barrel- Texas and roping and everything. Yeah, they're country out in Victoria, Texas, oil and gas and the construction is what Mr. McKinney, McKinney you constantly yeah, amaze me. Interesting. Well, Jonathan, I think many of our listeners might know if they don't know your name, they might know the dress that you designed for Lynn Wyatt that she famously wore to the Menil's 35th anniversary gala. She is the most gorgeous woman. You're so blessed to be able to design for her and she has a great figure at any age, but she had on this amazing red dress with the neckline and the cuffs were ostrich feathers. Where did those come from? The feathers came from, it's actually a very old company. They, that's all they do is feathers. And they go as far back as, like, did all the feathers for all the Bob Mackie gowns. That's where he purchased his feathers was from this company. Wow. Fun fact, Mr. McKinney, I was married in a Bob Mackie wedding gown. Oh, my goodness. Um, it came from the ultimate bride in Chicago. And I was the ultimate bride in 1991. <laughs> Divorced now, but I looked great. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And they know everything about feathers. And so their feathers, what makes them different from if you just go to like a craft store is they're humanely sourced, which means that the ostriches, they molt Mm -hmm. versus them pulling them out of the ostrich. Okay. Um, So the animal is not hurt. It actually just sheds the feathers. And so that they are more expensive for that reason, because you have to wait longer to get them. And they live out in the wild in South Africa. So they're doing what an ostrich would normally do. They're not brought over here and living in a place that they're not accustomed to or anything like that. Is that important to you to get it's, materials that are sourced correctly well, or you know, fairly? If, or? if you're going to do something, like if you're going to get a source of a material or something that's from an animal, it's always going to be better when the animal's happy. Mm-hmm. You know, an animal that's stressed is not going to produce it. Like an ostrich that's not happy is not going to make good feathers. And you can tell. I love this. And we're going to talk about you as an animal lover as we get into this. But when I remember when I was reading about that dress, I read that in addition to Bob Mackie, Oscar de la Renta got his feathers from the same place and that those feathers were worn by people like Judy Garland and Marilyn Monroe. So these are very, very special feathers and it shows. Well, the, yeah, the company is very, very old. So a lot of the places that I source materials from, they're companies that are, they're very old. Like one of the textile mills I work with, they did not invent sequence, but they own the patent on it. And then they were the ones who invented, I believe, taking the sequence, like the material that it's made in today, they did create that or they changed it from whatever it was before and they've been around I think 120 years I think they just celebrated that anniversary Um, you know in America this is highly unusual but I have people who hang around me know that I wear a lot of gems and I love beautiful gems and minerals and I have a friend whose family jewelry store in India and I've bought a lot of gems in India is hundreds of years old Mm -hmm. not just a hundred years old hundreds of years old I don't remember how many generations he told me of his family have run this jewelry business, but it's crazy number of generations. And you can imagine when people have been around doing this for so long, they're really good at it. Well, in India, we have to give them credit. Pretty much every form of embroidery that you see came from there. So like if you go to England and you look at the Queen's Guards, and if you look at the Boyan embroidery, that it's the metal that's sewn into their suits. That actually is from a certain region. The name escapes me, but it's from a particular part of India. It's their thing. 
that's the only thing that they do. And they're the ones that came up with that. And it goes back a very long time. Yeah, really fabulous. How did the Lynn Wyatt Commission come about? Uh, that's so exciting. So Lynn has been a client and like basically a supporter for a long time. How it happened was, I don't know if someone, when I went to London to do a show, so went to London to do a show, I was hosted by the Crown Prince and Princess of Serbia. Gee. Yeah, that was amazing. I met people like the man who saved Gucci. Mm-hmm. That person was just like, I casually just, you know, met he and his wife. But while I was there, she called me for an appointment and I missed her call. And I didn't, I didn't get a chance to actually listen to the voicemail until I was on my way home. I almost fell out of my chair because I couldn't believe that whose call I missed because... And how did she find out about you? Honestly, I don't know. You know, she's not an easy person for good reason to get a hold of. She's very busy, very tight schedule, and she's got a lot of people around her that kind of, you know, yeah. help insulate her from... I, I just want to make a quick insertion. And I know she's been on the show. I didn't interview we'll get her. her. Back on. Yeah. She, it was when uh, Catherine Anspon had this role that I have now, Catherine Anspon, the editor of Paper City. But of course, I'd seen images about uh, Lynn Wyatt forever and read all about her. And when I finally did meet her in person, she totally exceeded my expectations. She's even greater than you might think. She's just, she has a certain regality herself. And she made it seem like she was so genuinely interested in meeting me. And she's very special. Yeah, she's probably one of the nicest people I've ever met. What I love about her the most is she tells you exactly how she feels, but it's done in the nicest way. And she tells you exactly what she likes. And she's just, she was one of the easiest or is the easiest client that I've probably ever worked with. And she has a lot of commissions from me. But this, how the gown came to be is I was sitting with her, we were having tea and I told her, I said, there's one thing that you don't have from me and that's a gown. And she said, well, I don't know if I'm going to be going to anything this year. <laughs> and what? So, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what year was this? This was right before the Manil. No, yeah, that was beginning May- of the year. Yeah. Of that year because the Manil ball was at the very end of the year. And then her birthday came around and there was a dress a long time ago she tried on, she loved, but it was completely backless and so she loved the design of it, but she didn't like the fact that it was backless. Mm-hmm. So I remembered that and I was like, well, I'm just going to design the same dress, different color, different materials and everything because she loves red and black and white and not make it backless. And so I presented it to her and she goes, that's it. I have to have that dress. And so that's kind of how the ball got rolling on that. So you had tea at her house? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The one on River Oaks Boulevard or Meadow Lake? She, she hasn't lived on the River Oaks yeah. Boulevard for a while. They've moved somewhere um, kind of, they're still in River Oaks. Yeah, smaller house yeah yeah but yeah i love that though having tea with lynn wyatt and well, she's out. told me some amazing stories she's given me great advice and she's just an amazing person has she helped to introduce you to other folks as well sometimes that's how it works out some people no are very... that's the one thing that i can honestly say is i do get that a lot people assume and she i don't ever ask for that a lot of times i meet people and i have no idea who they are well a lot actually wow like you treat them all the same yeah so i treat everybody the same and for instance when i was in london i had no clue that that person that I was talking to that her husband was in the Gucci film he's the one that saved the whole company when their son was running it into the ground so I had no clue that's who I was talking with and everything and so like no I've never asked her to introduce me to people but she's I mean I don't know what she's Lynn Wyatt I wouldn't <laughs> ask to meet well, anyone a lot of times else. just the gown itself she's wearing it that people are saying oh my gosh you know well, and so what was really shocking to me because I've never asked her to do this she had a Vanity Fair article that came out about her and she chose to wear something of mine with the outfit that she wore and so she made sure that they printed my name uh, when they asked her what she wore and she didn't tell me that she did that either so I had to actually pick up the magazine and find out it that way and it was really just I mean I thought that was amazing fun surprise very generous thing to do you also are famously associated with the great beauty Carolyn Farb can you talk about that relationship at all so Carolyn and I met she's the one that actually I credit with I I don't even know where to begin so I met her through a mutual friend of ours at Saks Fifth Avenue. Carolyn was doing a book signing for her children's book. So I went in and our mutual friend Sissy said, you know, Carolyn's here. She's doing a book signing. I'd love for you to meet her. Why don't you come in and get a book for your younger sister and and meet her? So I went in and I did that and we had a very short conversation and left. And then the next thing I know, I got a phone call where she's wanting my email address and my cell phone. So I passed that information on. And then we went to a, I think she had a meet and greet at the museum and her dogs ran up to me and she said, okay, we have to 
be friends now that, you know, my dogs like you. (laughs) Yes, it just kind of grew from there. And she's another one of those ladies like Lynn Wyatt, who I can't imagine ever goes out of the house without looking just absolutely impeccable. And another person who I know, you know, because you've been at my gallery with her is the great beauty Vivian Wise, famously with pink hair. And I think she's got like a kind of a 1950s allure. She has a great figure and she's very, very feminine. Well, I guess all three of those, I guess probably everyone you design for could be described that way. But is she a longtime friend of yours? Now she is. Yes. Mm -hmm. We've been friends probably for over 10 years, I think now. And that's Um, that your business is over 10 years old, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Vivian, I met actually through another mutual friend of ours, Debbie Vistari. And so Debbie brought Vivian to my show. And then Vivian came in and she's one of the most interesting people I've ever met because she was coming in with the intention to look at the collection, but she started talking to me about voodoo dolls, this idea that she had about voodoo dolls, where she wanted to come up with voodoo dolls that you could go into a retail store and buy that were wearing like couture outfits. Why not? And she wanted me to design the outfits for the dolls. And I was just like, what is this lady talking about? No. (laughs) (laughs) So what is she talking about? You know, she shared with me her business that she has where it's a traveling couture trunk show that you could sell anything actually, but she primarily focused on luxury goods. And so we did that in Aspen. And then through that, we bonded very closely and it was fun. And that's kind of how we became very close friends. And she's one of my best clients. And I know you've designed for Miss Universe. Yes, that's recently actually Arbany. Arbany Gabriel. Yes. And so she, you know, I didn't forget about that I had met her before. I just didn't know that they were the same person, you Mm -hmm. know. And so I met her. She was one of my first fit models when I first started. And she remembered that, that I kind of helped, you know, when she first started modeling and everything. And so she was honored or proud to wear something of mine. Fabulous. Well, how exciting that you have had opportunity to meet all these people. And it didn't happen for no reason. I've seen your designs. They're absolutely incredible. So when did you start thinking you wanted to do this? I started thinking about this when I was about 14 years old. How did it come about? I just really liked clothes. And I really liked like when I would go with my mom shopping. I really liked the whole experience, the whole luxury experience of being in the nice store, how they treat you, how the store smells, everything about it. I remember I had been at Cartier and bought something there and my husband came home from work and my son was very young at the time and he was just raving about how nice the people are at Cartier. (laughs) And he said, look, they even gave me a puzzle. (laughs) And they did give him a puzzle. It's like, well, I did spend a little bit of money in there. But yeah, it's a whole different experience when you go to the real high end. It's a real pleasure. So were your first designs for your sister or your mom? or The first dress was for my sister mm-hmm. because, she, I mean, she is looks like a model. She's shaped like a model. She's tall. She's not six feet tall, but she's tall and beautiful. And so um, she's just the perfect mannequin, living mannequin, to try something on while I was and in school. did she love that you were doing that with her? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what did you make for her? Do you remember? It was a black silk dress with some kind of, it was kind of ruched across the top and then it had kind of like a little shoulder piece that draped down. And do you still design clothes for her? I do, yes. Yeah, nice. And do you design clothes for your mom? Yes. Wow, I bet they love that. That's an awfully nice thing. You mentioned the feathers, and I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about material. You know, as an art dealer, I'm just fascinated with materials. I know you've done things in lace and silk and cashmere and crystals. Can you talk a little bit about some of your favorite materials, why you like them, where they come from? So my favorite right now is there's the one, the main company, it's for mostly my high, actually, it's only for my high-end customer because it's very, very expensive. They take very thinly sliced pieces of metal and they fuse it to the fabric and it's more reflective. It's almost like mirrors. It's more reflective than just like a regular like sequence. Okay. I don't know how to explain it. It's Where's it's this made? All made in Switzerland. Oh. <laughs> and so they own all the, they come up with anything. I mean, this company can do literally anything. Like if you wanted fabric that, if you wanted to put diamonds on fabric, they can do that. If you wanted to do fabric that can change colors depending on how you move and turn, oh, yeah. they can make that happen. And so they're having that option and working so closely with them, the kind of customer that I have now, they want something special because mm-hmm. the type of temperature of the retail market right now is that a lot of stores are not able to or they're not willing to take as much of 
of a risk in terms of their buy for the store. So Retail has really changed since yes. the pandemic. I noticed just walking around Neiman Marcus, which was always such a pleasure before, it's like, wow, it doesn't look the way. It hasn't come back. No, you know? and the reason for that is because at the end of the day, they have rent. Mm-hmm. And the rent is really what is most important because, you know, they can not have their store anymore if they don't pay their rent. And so they have to really focus on what is going to be able to pay the rent. And so having those very high-end pieces that are, you know, one of a kind, they may sit in their store for four or five, six months. That's a long time. And that customer, there's not a whole lot of them, but they also don't like to buy the same thing as another one. So they really want it to be one of a kind. So yeah, they're playing it safe. And that's kind of where I came in because for a lot of them is they have the ability to literally do any, I mean, anything can be created as long as you can think of it, you know, it can happen. You function very much like a couture house. Yes. Where do you make what you make? So everything is currently made right here. But do you have like an atelier or a studio where you go to work? That So it's made in a factory. And then starting next year, I have a space that I'm going to be remodeling. So like it's going to be both. Okay. I know from when I lived in the Middle East, it was really fun to go shopping for fabrics. They had wonderful fabric stores there. But when you get your clothes custom made, you just look great. You look thinner. You When things fit you well, you look better. And I it kind of surprised me when I moved back that we don't have more of that here. Yeah, if America back in like probably the 40s, I need to brush up on my fashion history in America, but we used to have couture. I mean, mm-hmm. it was actually the only thing I think in terms of fashion that we were known for. You had Madame Vianney, you had Mary McFadden, you had designers like that that were here that were making wonderful things. And you see them in some of the wonderful old classic movies, the old black and white movies where people are watching a model walk by in an outfit that you could get and have made for you. Yes, and so that's how I function now. Now is I used to do the big shows where we would have you know three four hundred people in a room and a big runway and we would show. I went to your show that you had at the Post. Oh, okay. I think that was Runway Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other ten year anniversary. Yes, I went to that and I hadn't been to anything like that in Houston. I guess there were ten years of that, or maybe there's it's well, still so ongoing. That was you know I really wanted you know I thought what he did was was good for up and coming designers. It was a great avenue and and I wanted to kind of introduce it to because none of my customers had really gone to it just because they, they're so busy and there's so many things they're invited to. They just didn't see it or I, I don't know. But so I made sure that they came and, and so it was a great thing. But the shows that I did were, they were big, not as big as that, but they were big and of course invitation only and all of that. So what I do now is kind of what they used to do back in the, I guess the 40s or Yves Saint Laurent was around the person and that's super, very, very private because my customer now that that's Everything has to be very private. That's what they want. They don't want to be in a room with a bunch of people looking. So above my art gallery is a business called Tim Dowden. And every now and then people ask me what it is because above my sign on the building, it says Heidi Von Fine Art. And above it says Tim Dowden. And it doesn't say what Tim Dowden is. And he's not on the street level. So you have to go upstairs to see what that is. And what it is, is he has a hair salon that is the size of my art gallery. And there's no one in there but him and his client. So no one sees them with wet hair, whatever he's doing with the color. No one sees them in this state. And if you could see the cars that are out front, everything from Rolls Royce to Bentley to, you know, just the highest, most high-end cars. And the women who come in, they make all their hair appointments for the year in December. Oh, wow. And he doesn't do blowouts for parties. That's not the guy for that. But what they have is just absolute privacy. And his clients have been going to him for years and years. And he's been talking about retiring, but they won't let him. And so it's fascinating. I'd love to have a conversation with you about social media. You know, some people still very much love their privacy. Yes, pretty much everyone that I cater to or that are my customers, that's it. They don't want to be, like I was saying, in a room, a bunch of people looking at the same things. And so what I do is you get to know them really well, actually, over the course of time that you're learning what they like to wear. And so I only show them things like it's individual and I will only show that person things that either I know for a fact that they're going to like and things that I have designed in mind for them. So sometimes they'll see 
see pieces from my collection that I have at that time. But then there's also, you know, I'll bring my sketchbook with earmarked designs that are just for them. And that's when it gets really fun because then they'll pick something out and then I'll bring in from that textile mill I was telling you about in Switzerland, I'll bring them pieces or samples of material that they send me and then they can pick any color, anything that they want. It can happen. We're down to our last minute. I'm going to ask you, would you like to talk about snakes or social media? <laughs> I don't like They're social media. Connected, yeah. So should we talk about snakes? Sure. A lot okay. of snakes on social media. <laughs> okay. So, and I'll use as the transition, Gucci did some amazing ads with snakes. Yes. Snakes are very beautiful. They're like works of art. And you are a snake lover. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. What would you like to... Well, I know you were, you, were, magazine. you were featured in a magazine recently yes. for your snakes, and you have venomous snakes. I do, yes. So you know how to handle them. I've always liked snakes. When I was a kid, when I was, I don't know how old I was, maybe five, I picked up a... We have in Houston, we have a particular species of rattlesnake called a pygmy rattlesnake. They're very small. They're usually very foul-tempered. They are venomous. And if you get bit, it is incredibly painful. You won't die. No one's ever died from a pygmy rattlesnake bite because they're just incapable of injecting enough venom to kill you. Okay. And so I picked one up and we were at a pool party. I brought it over and I thought it was a worm. Oh. And uh, my dad, you know, knocked it out of my hands. And I don't know if it was that experience of everyone freaking out and saying, oh my God. And so I don't know if it was that, but ever since then I was hooked. Mm. So, you know, I would catch them and I would bring them into the house. So my dad was like, I really got to fix this. This is not okay. And so he took me to a rattlesnake roundup and he told the guy, I need you to reach down and grab the biggest rattlesnake that you have in there. I need to instill a fear of them in my son uh-huh. because this is a problem. So this man picks up this huge western diamond back and is showing it to me and I grab it out of his hands. Oh wow. And I turn around and walk off with it. Oh. You know, and those can kill you. Oh wow. And so he told my dad, he goes, you have a, you do have a problem. You need, <laughs> <laughs> you, I don't know, you can't, I can't help you, but you need to figure something out. And so I wasn't allowed to have the venomous snakes growing up. And then when COVID happened, there were some decisions I was making with my own life and my own lifestyle that I wanted to change. And so I wasn't going to pursue that until I made those changes. For instance, choosing not to drink alcohol and venomous snakes do not mix. That um, makes sense. At all. Um, uh-huh. In fact, most snake bites are caused due to someone being drunk. Wow. Most of them, Interesting yes. stat. So I, I promised myself if I can correct this and everything else, because you got to be really disciplined because there's a lot of things you got to make sure that you always have correct every single time. One goes wrong, you can have a serious mistake. So I practiced for a year and then I contacted a friend of mine who does do this and said, okay, we can all teach you how to do this. And then that's kind of how the exotic venomous snake the cobras and vipers and things that I have came to be in my life. And mm. most of them are pretty well behaved, which is unusual because they're usually not very even-tempered animals. They're usually I've seen a cobra in action in India. They're quite stunning, and it is jarring to see them show you that thing they do in their neck. Yeah, yeah and the ones I have are spitting cobras, so mm-hmm. they can spray venom in your eyes from wow. about 10 feet away and bite you if you get too close. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Well, on that note, we are now out of time. So, Jonathan, let people know where they can get a hold of you, your social media handles, your websites, all that great stuff. My Instagram is jblakeofficial, and uh, that's the best way to contact me. There you go. We're going to break for some messages and come back with more of the Houston Hour on 90.1 APFT. Houston, Doc Fest Jazz Festival is celebrating 10 years of excellence with a benefit concert on Saturday, 
March 23rd at 7 p.m. in the Denny Theater on the beautiful campus of Kinder HSPVA, located at 790 Austin Street. The featured artists for the evening are world-renowned saxophonists Walter Smith III, Houston's own Warren Sneed, and composer-arranger Mark Holden. Doors open at 6 p.m. with a meet and greet in the lobby. All proceeds benefit the Helen and Bob Morgan Jazz Scholarship. Tickets available online at docfestjazz.org. That's D-O-C-F-E-S-T-J-A-Z-Z.org. Or call 832-784-1781 for more information. Hey, Houston, how are you? It's Mr. McKinney with Mr. McKinney's Historic Houston and the Houston Hour Radio Show coming to you during the break. Reminding about the show we have next Friday, March 1st at 8 p.m. right here on 90.1 KPFT. We have with us Jenny Ash joining us. She is the Executive Director of the Houston Art League. It's an organization founded by women as we celebrate Houston Women's History Month the entire month of March with amazing women, including on the history side, Melanie Johnson joining us. She's a former runner-up Miss Michigan. She's also the founder of a TV station here in Houston that we're going to talk about a deep and she's also a publisher, so do not miss out. It's all things Houston women on the Houston Hour the entire month of March with Mr. McKinney and Heidi Vaughn, Friday, March 1st on 90.1 KPFT Houston. Be sure to tune in. Hi, Houston. This is Dawn. I'm the Assistant Director of Events at Contemporary Arts Museum Houston, known as the CAM. I'm excited to invite you to the shows currently on view. They are six scenes from our future and this way a Houston group show. As always, CAM is open and free to the public. For more information, visit CAM.org. That's C-A-M-H period O-R-G. Hello, Houston. This is Hillary Hart, Executive Director at Theater Under the Stars, and you're listening to The Houston Hour on 90.1 KPFT. Well, it's that time of year again, folks. It is our winter pledge drive happening here at KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. We are so excited to be able to remind people why the Houston Hour matters because it's a big deal for us here. We've enjoyed doing this show since 2019, and we know that you've enjoyed the show as well because you're listening right now, but we need your help. Every single year we come to y'all four times a year with our pledge drives and we remind you that it does make a difference. Every single donation counts. Any amount makes a big difference, especially when you listen under the Houston Hour. We're like every single show here in charge of raising a certain amount of money to help keep our show on the air and we do need your help. This drive only lasts until the end of the month. So think about that. And it's a leap year, so you got an extra day. How about that? So make sure you make a gift in honor of the Houston Hour. You can do it right now at kpft.org. That's K- kpft.org help keep us on the air help showcase this show does make a difference and matter we focus on the best of houston arts entertainment houston happenings and the history behind our city an oral history for you to be able to enjoy but we need your help kpft.org search the houston hour show make a donation twenty dollars ten dollars hundred dollars fifty bucks whatever you can give there's lots of great incentive gifts that we can give out if you make a contribution at different levels think about that including a brick which i've got a brick heidi vaughn's got a brick and you can get a brick too with the message on it at our Caroline Street Studios. It's a great gift, so think about that. Go to kpft.org, help us make a difference and reach our goal for the winter pledge drive now until the end of the month. February 29th, we need your help. Thanks for being a loyal listener of the Houston Hour. Take care. You're listening to the Houston Hour on 90.1 FM KPFT, a Pacifica radio station. And now back to the show. Georgia, Georgia, the whole day through, just an old sweet song, keeps Georgia on my mind. And we're back from break. 
Well, Heidi, I'm so excited and honored to close out Black History Month with the leader, somebody who is active in Houston's nonprofit community, active in the role of servant leadership. She's an innovative change agent, and she's worked with some of the most important nonprofits in our city, including very active with the Rotary Club of Houston. As we mentioned earlier in the opening talk, folks, today was the day back in 1905, February 23rd, that Rotary was founded. I'm talking about one of the most active members, including Rotarian of the Year, Monique Johnson. Welcome to the Houston Hour. Thank you. Excited to be here. Oh, this is going to be great. Oh, my goodness. I am so thrilled. Well, you know, I've dedicated my life to nonprofit, working in a variety of different arts organizations and youth development groups over the years, and education as well. And you've done a lot of that, too. Where are you from originally? Because we are so blessed to have you here in our city. We're going to go over all the great organizations you work with, but where did it all start? Where are you from originally? I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm a Georgia peach. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. You're very sweet. You've got a big heart. So you were born in Atlanta and grew up in Atlanta. Where would your journey take you beyond that? Yes. So grew up there. And then when it was time for college, I started out at Middlebury College in Vermont and then took a year off and lived in the great city of New York and had an internship and decided at that time that I would return home to complete my degree, my bachelor's at an HBCU. And so once I was done there, I got my first job in Chicago. Wow. Which HBCU? Tell us. Yes. So I graduated from Clark Atlanta University, Mm -hmm. which, as you may know, is one of the oldest HBCUs in the country. Mm -hmm. And my mother also was an alum. And so she was delighted to know that that's where I would end up eventually. I hate to interrupt, but I don't know what an HBCU is. What's a perfect month to talk about it? Great question. So it's a historically black college and university. Mm -hmm. And just because Mr. McKinney is such a huge historian, You probably already know that HBCUs were created because black people were not allowed to go to other white colleges and universities. And so very distinguished leaders and people got together and created endowments. And that's how HBCUs came about. Well, we had a whole show at my gallery of Texas Southern artists. So those would be HBCU. Exactly. And I didn't even know it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. I love that aspect. That's leadership right there. A community coming together and saying, okay, you're not going to give us the same opportunity to give everybody else. We're not going to stop us or bother us. We're going to gather, organize, raise funds, and actually make sure that our community is educated at the level they can prosper with themselves. I think that's just wonderful. And you're also in a sorority there, right? Yeah. Well, my mother is an AKA. I did not pledge. However, I'm very, as, as you know, very involved. Mm-hmm. I was very involved in the Atlanta community because my grandparents and my parents were involved in the civil rights. Let's talk mm-hmm. about that. Okay. Yeah. And they had a very famous barbecue place. Yes. What's the name of the barbecue place? So my grandfather started a barbecue place in Atlanta in 1932. <gasps> And it was called Alex Barbecue Heaven. Love it. And so famous and world-renowned that he actually had somebody stop by, tell listeners about this. Yes. So very much during that time of the civil rights movement, Dr. King, as you all probably know, he lived there with his family. And they actually lived right around the corner from my grandparents. And when Dr. King began galvanizing his effort around civil rights, he would come to my grandfather's barbecue place and actually write his speeches. Wow. He said, all I needed was a slab of Alex barbecue ribs and some of that sauce. And I could write whatever I needed to write. It is it still so, in existence? Unfortunately, not. Actually, it was taken down by eminent domain. Actually, oh, for a freeway? Came through, that came through that area. For a freeway um, or for what? Yeah, well, so they just gentrified basically that whole entire area. Well, you know, again, Um, we're talking about HBCUs. We're talking about a lot of the history. We shouldn't sugarcoat it, though, but it really is a sad portion of American history, and most specifically here in Houston, and people wonder why the Fourth Ward Freedmanstown area went all the way out to what we know as the Allen Center today, and that was redeveloped by Kenneth Schnitzer in the late 60s and early 70s, but... That was the heart of the black business community here in Houston with the Pilgrim Building and Antioch Baptist Church is still there. And so Fourth Ward Freedmanstown went from Allen Center, if you will, all the way out west to where it currently sits today. But people don't realize that. They don't associate that aspect of the downtown area with the community because of the freeway. And that's what happened. As history shows us, they would put these freeways in primarily low-income areas, African-American and Hispanic areas, where the resistance was less, where those people, in their minds, could not organize and didn't have the mechanisms to 
fight this. And it was really sad because they were taking advantage of a community that couldn't speak up for themselves. And it really kind of tore apart some of these areas. So we just see that happen throughout American history, including in Atlanta, including in Chicago, including in Houston. And really, every major city has a story very similar to this. And Houston's not alone. But I think that's wonderful that your grandpa had that restaurant. He had some very famous folks. And we all know the inspiration that Dr. King left on so many of us. And knowing that maybe most of his speeches, yeah, Mm -hmm. some of his speeches Mm -hmm. were actually uh, inspired by some of the great full tummy that he had and some good barbecue. Now, did your folks ever work for the restaurant as well? Yes. So I was going to say that it's still alive, right? Because my brother is a chef and he caters. So he makes the same famous sauce, it's Alex's Barbecue Heaven sauce, and he does lots of catering. So oh, great. still very, very, great. very yeah, much alive. He should bottle that. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, and they had, back when my grandfather was still well, living, and prior beyond that, it was being sold in Sam's. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so a big deal. So it was in Sam's at one point. That's a real big deal. And it's not easy to get into Walmart or Sam's. And these are big retailers that have very strict guidelines. And But when they notice a good product and they know it's going to sell, they make that investment. So how amazing is that? So and I'll have to bring y'all some sauce one day. Oh, when yeah. My brother makes some. I'll have to bring you some. Yeah, now we need it. Yeah, yes. that's great. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so you're in Atlanta. And what takes you to Chicago? Well, I got my first job in Chicago and went to work following that same kind of wanting to serve in the community. My bachelor's was in psychology, and so I wanted to basically work in community services in the field. And so I got a job offer and moved to Chicago. Where'd you work? My first job was with ULIC, well, first and major job was with ULIC Children's Home. Prior to ULIC, though, I should mention that I worked for an organization called Travelers and Immigrants Aid, and they had a program called Neon Street, which was supporting children, adjudicated youth, who were homeless. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so my job was to manage a caseload of homeless young adults, basically. Oh, my goodness. You have a heart of gold. Yes, yes. It was very challenging work, but also very rewarding, Mm -hmm. right? Because when you had a situation where a child's trajectory changed, where it kind of like, hey, I'm in charge of my destiny. Mm -hmm. That was one of the most rewarding experiences ever. But then, of course, you had other kids, too, who didn't necessarily make it out. Was this in the 80s, in the early 80s, mid-80s? 90s. In the 90s. In the early 90s. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. And Mm -hmm. what do you miss most about Chicago? Oh, my God. The food, (laughs) the weather where you could put on your nice clothes and walk down Michigan Avenue. You know, I love Italian food. And so, and I love, I'm a runner. So I would run along Lakeshore Drive and on the lake all the time. That's a beautiful place. Yeah. So, yeah, all of that. How do you know Chicago too, right? Just oh, a little really bit. well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just the ability to walk through Lincoln Park, Lakeshore Drive is so pleasant. I was so fortunate. I worked at Wacker and State for years, and I was on a high floor overlooking the Marina City Towers, which was an awesome view. But it was close enough to the Art Institute of Chicago that I used to walk there at least once a week and spend my lunch time just looking at something there. Yeah, such a pleasure. And the architecture, of course, is amazing. And I tell people, even though I'm from there and I go there regularly, every time I go, I go on a Wendella boat tour, the architectural tour. And I tell people, don't just go on the river, go on the lake too. The whole thing's really great. You'll always catch something you missed or something, but it's just such an awesome city. I love it so much. I do too. And to your point about there's always something new to discover. I also attended Roosevelt University where I got my master's. And as you probably know, that's right there on Washington and Michigan. And just beautiful to be able to go in that historical building every day. Yes. Just Oh, my niece went to school there. Yes, yes. And so did Patrick Moore, the cellist, went there as well. So interesting here in Houston to have those kind of connections. And is that where you got connected with the Rotary Club? Yes, that's exactly it. So while getting my master's, my sister, and I'm a twin, (laughs) I think I may have shared that with you all. And we both lived together and her boss owned, he was one of the top electrical contracting firms there in Chicago. And he happened to be on the board, Bill Bonaparte, and he's now deceased, but he sat on the board and would invite us out to serve with him. So that was my first introduction to Rotary. And Rotary, to my understanding, has had a lot to do with foreign exchange 
Is, yes. is that, did you do anything with that? No, but that is a desire of mine. So yes, absolutely. They have exchanged students that come from all over the world. <laughs> yeah, um, I studied abroad as a young person, and I, I think it's something that everyone would benefit from yes. if given the opportunity. Yes, I love that. I love that we can, exposure is key. Right? Yes, and so is. when we can expose young people, we have Interact and Rotaract. When we can engage them when they're young, they're going to have a life of service. So it's a Agreed. wonderful thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's very contagious because you're helping mm-hmm. other people and you're getting that feeling in return that just makes you, propels you to go out there and continue to help and serve. Well, now, what brought you to Houston? Well, I married a Texan. Oh. Yeah, Houston, native Houstonian. And so I got married and came here and immediately was finishing up my master's thesis at the time. And so it gave me an opportunity to kind of get to know Houston a little bit. And Mm -hmm. I married and moved to Pearland, but always wanted to live in Houston. Right. Right. And so it was just a wonderful opportunity to have that time to explore and learn about the areas and the architecture and even just the arts. Where do you live now? I live right down the street in Rice Village area. Yeah, I live very near here too. So now I live in the Loop and I love it. I do too. It's really fun. (laughs) It's where all the great restaurants are. It is surprisingly walkable. And if you like looking at art, there's a lot you can see just on foot. Between if you're going to the Museum of Fine Arts, of course, it's right by the Contemporary Art Museum. It's right by the Young Center. It's right by the Children's Museum. It's right by Asia Society. It's right by Herman Art Park. Those are all walking distance. And of course, the Menil campus is fun to walk around. There's lots you also on the University of St. Thomas campus next door. You got the Rothko Chapel and the Cy Twombly Museum. I mean, so much to see. And then here in my galleries in Houston's oldest gallery row, it dates mm-hmm. all the way to the 70s, which for Houston is really old. Wow. We're nine galleries currently. We have all of our openings together. So about every six weeks, it's a really fun art walk. And there are other arts districts around Houston as well. There are really so much to see and do. And it keeps you from having to be in the car all the time. Absolutely. So I love, to your point about walking, I love running. I'm Mm -hmm, a runner. mm -hmm. And so I literally run from where I live all around the neighborhood. You've got that runner's energy. Yeah, (laughs) I can see that. So, But you got to be careful. Our sidewalks aren't very reliable. Very true. Very, very true. It can be dangerous, yeah. Help us, sidewalk alert. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. City of Houston, public works. Let's work on that. And this is a great time. At this time, we have all these fun runs and all these things that are happening because the weather's nice and because it's just typically scheduled Chevron Marathon, things of that Mm -hmm. nature. Now, we mentioned earlier your dedication to nonprofits, but you had the opportunity to work for many of them, the education director of a crisis intervention, for example, and the Pelton Children's Center as a program supervisor and project education director. What was it like working for some of those nonprofits? Again, I loved it because I was serving, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that would be the common theme for Mm -hmm. me, to be able to serve. That's what connects me. That's what grounds me. And so it was wonderful to be able to get to Houston and land a job working at Crisis Intervention of Houston. Well, it's such a true thing. Whenever I talk to someone who's struggling with depression, Mm -hmm. one of my questions for them is always, what are you doing for others? Mm -hmm. And they're often not doing anything for others. And if you start serving others and make it less about your focus on yourself, suddenly the world becomes a much different place. I think everyone really needs to be in the service of others. It's a very important way to live your life. Yes, absolutely. And as you all know, the Rotary motto is service above self. So even seeking out that I wanted to become familiar again or engaged again with Rotary, it just aligned with who I am as a person. It's wonderful. Well, it shows you got just a gorgeous way about you and just a beautiful energy. And then you've been involved with schools, too. Yes. Talk about that a little bit. So after leaving Depelcha or some part of that, because I've kind of done a couple of tour of duties. Well, actually, let's step back and talk about Depelchin because I'm not sure it's greatly expanded recently. You may have seen it if you're in Memorial Park or driving near Memorial Park. And I think it's gotten a lot bigger and expanded. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Yes. So Depelchin Children's Center is a nonprofit organization that provides residential care for kids that are involved in the system, in the child welfare system, but also adoption, foster care, counseling services, mental health support. So it's a really huge major organization in my mind that offers a continuum of care. And what I mean by that is if the child's coming in and they're involved in foster care, they can see them all the way through to adoption. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that was the most rewarding part for me when I worked at Depelchin was to be able to see as part of the adoption committee, we looked at families that were looking to adopt 
and being able to provide them with that opportunity and, and watch it come to fruition. Would these be adoption for children of all ages? Yes, absolutely. And there was a special program that I had the opportunity to head up. It was a national program that they were implementing across the United States to address the high numbers of African-American children that were waiting to be adopted. And it's just not endemic to Houston. It was across the United States. And so the federal government decided that they would allocate monies to organizations who wanted to pursue supporting those efforts. And I was a part of that project, Mm. which was really cool because we utilize the super neighborhoods. So I got to learn all about Houston super neighborhoods, which Mr. was McKinney, great for me. What are Houston super neighborhoods? Yeah. So it's just an initiative that's out there to make sure that these areas have an identity, but also that they're supported through some different city projects, Sparks, uh, libraries, and oh, all uh-huh. of them just have different opportunities because they're within And tell our listeners what Sparks are. I know, but probably our yeah. listeners don't. It's the City of Houston's partnership to be able to utilize and help to revitalize and build brand new parks with the partnership with HISD. So what they're doing is they're using school parks. So if you have an area that is a park desert, if you will, and those are typically underserved areas of Houston, you can utilize the HISD parks they have with City of Houston funding to put equipment in and things of that nature, but they're required to be open beyond the school hours, if you will. And Eleanor Tinsley was a big proponent of this, actually, and her daughter, very active in making sure that we have parks. Because the city could acquire land and put a park in an area that doesn't have it, but why not utilize school park that's already there and then put city money into, and again, City of Houston is different than HISD. They're separate entities. Most people think that they're combined, and some cities do have the school districts underneath the city's arm, but in this case, they're independent, right? So what you're doing is now you're putting money into a school, and the school benefits because they get an updated park space, right. the community benefits because they do that, and then the maintenance is somewhat shared, if you will, not aspect. So those are reasons why the Spark Parks are very popular, why they're needed. So just brilliant innovation. This stuff goes back 20, 30 years ago, and I just think it's a wonderful program. And speaking of education, you've worked with HISD, for example. Talk a little about that aspect. Yes. So as life would have it, right, I went after leaving Depelchon and returning to Houston, I ended up working for the Strategic Partnerships Department at HISD. And in that role, I helped to, I say, bring our volunteer engagement program into the 21st century, which was really exciting. HISD had a huge volunteer engagement program. It was started in 1971. Yes, it was started in 1971 as its own independent 501c3. And later it was absorbed within the district itself. But it was just so exciting to look at corporate partners, individuals, and anyone who wanted to give up their time, money, or resources to the district. And I could see we always saw the impact. Right. And so that program, of course, continues to live on and very, very, very necessary to supporting our students and our families and our community. Well, and it's a lot of what Rotary does, too. It's engaging the civic and the business community involved with the education aspects and nonprofits and schools are a form of nonprofit as well. There are different 501C, but the idea is that they have needs. And when you have people, not everyone has children or cares to have children. And the idea of working with young people in a mentorship level in the schools and to have put volunteers in schools, too, this has been done since the beginning of schools, right? Having yeah. parents and community leaders volunteer, it just takes some of that burden financially off it as well when you can utilize volunteer manpower, women power versus having to hire people. So volunteers public schools do a variety of things. I was so honored to get the 2009, we got the Leadership Award Volunteer Public Schools for a youth program called the Houston Air Youth Council on Service and the Pre-K Pals Toy Drive that we did over at the Gabriela Minstrel Center for Early Childhood. That you're still doing. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I it's love a, it. It's the yeah. 17th year. Monique, I'm going to have you. We've wrapped it up. It's every single year, the first week of December. So we've already had it. We had it last year. We'll do it I every do, December. I do it. Yeah. Um, how I do you love there? it. It's very well, sweet. And actually, I was the program administrator when you all won 2009. that award. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, that was so cool. Yes. Oh my goodness. Did you, did you ever awesome? work with Sherry Williams? Sherry. She's more in the media department, but she's my yes. TV oh, mentor. Yeah. She's... Yes. I recognize the name. Yeah, you Sherry know, we Williams. have what, oh, yeah, something yeah, thousand employees. employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you don't work with that person directly, of course, you of don't. Course. But I remember you She's all. in media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. <laughs> the idea behind the Pre-K Pals Toy Drive is the high school students through Bellar High School, Lamar High School, and six other high schools that are part of the Youth Council and Leading Ladies collect over 5,000 toys, and then they actually wrap all these toys, and then they actually, during their finals week, get a chance 
to give the toys away. So there are other toy drives that are out there, and people have seen these locations bins all over the city that are there. And, you know, you drop a toy in a bin, and you never know what happens to it. With our toy drive, you can donate a toy. If you want to come wrap the toy, you can do that as well. And then you can also come give the toy away. When you hand the toy to the child and you see the delight in their eyes and just the excitement about getting it, it is so worth it. Yes, absolutely. And I think some of those kids wouldn't get a, you know, don't necessarily get a toy or or certainly many. So they're very grateful. Yes, absolutely. And talk about impact. Segwaying back to us talking about Rotary, right, and their community engagement. A similar, they do a similar kind of Christmas gift giveaway and donate toys to kids in need in collaboration with the Bear Foundation. How nice. And so it's really neat, just like you said, to see the kids. Well, we don't physically see them, but all of the, the warehouses filled with gifts and Rotarians go and they literally package up these gifts to be taken to all of the central stations for kids that are in care. And it's just an amazing way to give and support kids in the community who are under-resourced. Well, you're doing so much great stuff with your life. It's really very admirable. Yes. So we have the adoption fair with the Rotary Club of Houston, and it's a collaborative effort with the Department of Education, Harris County. that was two weeks ago. How was that? It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Great turnout. Yes. Annual event. And the goal is to have interested parents who've already kind of put in their application through the Department of Child Services, and then they attend the event and Rotarians are there to kind of make it a relaxed event. We have a DJ that comes in, face painting, photo booth, and we just kind of get the kids engaged and kind of relaxed. And then the prospective parents come in and get to mingle with the kids. A wonderful event. I can't imagine what that is like. I think people adopt an animal, a cat or a dog, and it feels a certain way. I can't imagine how much bigger it would be to adopt a real human being and someone who needs you and would appreciate you in a different way. That's beautiful. And making that lifelong commitment, Mm -hmm. right? Because this is an adoption fair. So the goal for that child or children or sibling group is adoption. And how many children would be involved in this? Well, one year, I want to say we've had like 25 people adoptions that were finalized. Wow. Yeah, so it varies from year to year. It's again a collaboration and they determine those groups of parents that are ready and then they bring the kids, the different foster moms bring our parents rather bring the kids to the event and it's just it is amazing. Every year I cry. Mm, I I would imagine. I bet they do, too. (laughs) Exactly. Well, this is amazing, too. And so we're getting close to being out of time. So let listeners know real quick where they can get a hold of you and maybe how they can get involved in Rotary. Yes, absolutely. So if you're interested in the Rotary Club of Houston, we do have a website page, rotaryclubofhouston.org. And also my personal email, if you have a personal question or would like to ask a question about anything we've shared here today on the Houston Hour, you can reach me at garnermonique at gmail.com. And that's GarnerMonique at gmail.com. I love that. Well, thank you again for being a guest on the Houston Hour, sharing your story, being an active member of our Houston civic community and giving back. And folks, if you don't know about Rotary, you've seen the logo, you probably have heard about it here and there, but get to learn about Rotary by going to a meeting. They've got great guest speakers every single week all over town. There's always a meeting where you can join them and they'd love to have new people join, okay? Well, thank you again, Money, for joining us on the Houston Hour. We're going to hand it over. Take care, Houston. Thank you. Brother, when you need a hand, we all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on. Lean on me when you're been listening to the Houston Hour with Mr. McKinney and Heidi Vaughn. Tune in right here on 90.1 FM KPFT. 
stay connected with us on Facebook and Instagram at The Houston Hour and on Twitter at the HOU Hour and the number one. We always welcome show ideas and listener feedback at thehoustonhour at gmail.com. And you can listen to this show and past archived shows at kpft.org. Till next week, Houston. Are you curious about Houston's history, Houston's past, all the great stories, titans and tycoons? Well, we talk about all that on board the amazing and remarkable experience we call the Houston History Bus. And it's available free of charge to the public. All we ask is that you simply like and follow our social media sites, which is Mr. McKinney's Historic Houston and the Houston History Bus. So free tours on board Houston's only open-air mobile classroom, the Houston History Bus, when you simply like and follow our social media sites. So don't miss out. You can always go to MrMcKinney.com for more information about the Houston History bus and come join us on a free tour. Take care, Houston. Houston's community station since 1970. This is KPFT. Good news, good planet, good news. It's time now for your good news for a good planet. Moving food. Every year, over 33 million Americans relocate and in the process generate lots of waste in clothing, furniture, and food. And in America, nearly one in six children are affected by hunger. So what if one problem could be used to solve the other? After seeing many of his clients throwing away perfectly good canned and dry goods during the relocation process, moving veteran Adam Lowy wondered the same thing. He founded the nonprofit Move for Hunger that connects over a thousand moving companies in the U.S. and Canada with their local food banks. The process is simple. People preparing to move are asked to set aside their unwanted, unopened items, such as baby food, formula, canned goods, and other dry non-perishables like rice, pasta, flour, cookies, and crackers. The moving company collects these items, packs them up, and delivers them to nearby food pantries, where they're sorted and given to local families in need. Begun in 2009, by 2022, Move for Hunger had donated over 20 2 million pounds of excess food to local food banks. This simple solution keeps needed items out of local landfills and directs them 